Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. Polyamorous relationships come in as many flavors as ice cream at the store. Joe Duncan. Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Poly Podcast. This is episode 20. This is M. This is G. And today we're going to be talking about types of polyamorous relationships. This is a topic I decided that we should probably cover sooner rather than later because we talk about different types of polyamorous relationships all the time. So we should probably get define, our bases covered. Yeah, define some of our terms. Like, what is this polyamory stuff? When I talk about anarchical relationships... Maybe our, our audience members need to have a little bit more... Background. Yes. For what we're talking about. So first off, if we're going to be talking about types of polyamorous relationships, I think we should first talk about what exists outside of polyamorous relationships. And I think the big, the big one, the elephant in the room, the 800-pound gorilla, is monogamous relationships which a lot of people know about them a lot of people know about but in case there's somebody who does not know what the term means we should probably talk about it a little bit we should talk about it so monogamous relationship is when one person meets another person and they fall in love oh my gosh are you giving the talk to our audience members yes is this not how you want to do it? This is not how I envisioned it. Do you want do you want to do it? I mean, like we can skip all that. Oh, these people meet and they fall in love. <laughs> we can just skip just like these people are together. They're okay. two people, they're together, two. Two, two. uno, dos. Ah, uh, duh. All right? No song. Right. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Uh, so, two people are together, they're supposed people. to remain uh, loyal to, loyal each, to other. each other. They're not supposed to have other romantic or sexual, or sexual or relationships yeah. outside, outside of their, of their relationship. Yeah. Right. I'd argue that it's okay to have emotional relationships outside of that because we yeah, need we more than em- one person. Right. We have emotional relationships with our friends. We have emotional relationships with our family if we have bio family or chosen family or whatever. But I will reference our last polyamory episode on... Micro-cheating. That was yes. our last one, right? Mm-hmm. And I will say that some people might consider having some types of emotional relationships to be cheating. Yes. So, you know, it really depends on the level or the type of that emotional relationship. Yes. So, that's monogamous relationships. Then, stuff that is not monogamous relationships, or relationships that are not monogamous relationships, are called non-monogamous relationships. Logical. Very logical. Now, there's actually a lot of different forms of non-monogamous relationships. So you can have just an open monogamous relationship where it's like, we are in love with each other, but also we... We see some people on the side. We see some people on the side. So non-monogamy covers everything from swingers to polygamy. 
and polyamory just sort of is under the umbrella of non-monogamous. Non-monogamous. You have some notes here about swingers? Yeah, so I actually know some people in the swinging community, and I know that some swingers may consider themselves monogamous, and this sort of goes back to your note just now, that, you know, in some ways, so like, for example, they might be sexually open, they might switch partners in that swinging manner, but other than switching for those sexual purposes, they might not pursue other relationships um, with those people, and some swingers might still refer to themselves as monogamous, but they just swing. However, on the other hand, there are swingers who also count themselves as open or non-monogamous, and some people might even consider themselves both swingers and polyamorous if they both swing, switch partners in that way, and then also develop kind of like these romantic or other types of relationships with those people. So it seems like there can even be like some overlap. Yeah, I think partially there's like a subculture divide. There's a different swinger culture versus a different polyamorous culture so i can definitely see why some people would consider themselves to be both both right because they can overlap like that venn diagram or something but since you bring this up i would like to note that there are some areas because i've known people who like have lived in like ohio where everybody just calls themselves swingers even though what they're doing is what we'd more associate with polyamorous relationships exactly just because that's the only term they know right exactly and i've seen that a lot too also relating to sort of these other details in these varieties, some people divide being sexually open or closed and being romantically open or closed. So there are some people that I know who are sexually open, but they might say that they are, quote, romantically monogamous or, quote, emotionally monogamous. So sometimes those people who are monogamous but are open, they see people on the side or whatever, they might say, oh, yeah, we're monogamous, but we're romantically monogamous, but we're sexually open or something like that. So some people use those terms. Yes. But we're going to specify more. We're going to be talking about polyamorous relationships. And generally speaking, what are polyamorous relationships? Well, polyamory, the word polyamory comes from poly meaning many and amory referring to love. So like a lot of people translate this to many loves. So uh, you have a note here about it being like having multiple romantic or and or emotional relationships. Yes. I do want to just go on this small little linguistic rant. All right. Here's the thing. M's linguistic rant of the day is that there is this meme that goes around every so often that's like, it's really like awful. It's like, polyamory is wrong. But then it's like the little subtext is like, it is either multiamory or polyphilia, but mixing Greek and Latin roots, wrong. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look, here's the deal, folks. It's polyamory. That joke isn't funny. Maybe it is to you, but I don't think it's funny because We mix things all the times in languages. We just do. And we use polyamory like broadly in the community. And it's part of a lot of people's lexicons, their mental dictionaries. So that's what we refer to it. That's what it's called. And it's unlikely that you're going to have people changing their language to say that it's polyphilia or multiamory. But if that's what you prefer, oh my gosh, please use whatever is comfortable for you. But other people might not understand you. Exactly. Because polyamory is the term for it. So, yes, it does mix Latin and Greek, but that's all right. That's my little rant, my linguistic rant. Yeah, I mean, English is usually such a pure language. So let's just carpe diem. 
while I enjoy the schadenfreude of M <laughs> losing their mind about this joke. So yeah, so polyamory is referring to, typically refers to multiple, having multiple emotional and or romantic relationships that are kind of like those close things. They can also have sexual components. They might not have sexual components. Yes. I mean, for example, while our our relationship started off having a sexual component that has largely gone away and we still have a very deep romantic slash emotional relationship. Yes. And I would totally be up for a more kinky relationship if we have the time for that. Yeah. But same thing with my relationship with T is that the sexual side of that relationship has mostly gone away, but there's still a deep romantic slash emotional component to it. So when we talk about styles of relationship, I think there's kind of two main axes. There's the sort of hierarchical versus anarchical relationship. And do you want to talk about sort of what the difference between those two? Well, first, I just want to say that because we really like to refer listener or sorry, audience members to other resources, and we typically also cite some articles, I will Make sure that there is an article in the show notes where you can learn more about the following terms that we're going to be discussing. It's from Affirmative Couch, and they talk about polyamorous relationship structures. So here we have this one axis that we're talking about. Yes. So there's hierarchical poly, which typically invokes the use of like a primary, a secondary, a tertiary, basically terms to describe like different levels or tiers of people in the relationship. So this might look like you're married, so that's your primary, and then... You have, like, a really close person friend, boyfriend, girlfriend on the side that you see pretty regularly. Like, once every week you have a date. And you're pretty committed to them, but they're more of a secondary situation. So, like, they're not living with you. They're not having that type of more... They're not taking that priority in your life in that way. And that varies. That sort of, quote, priority or primariness. Like, what determines... Being a priority or having that primariness really varies, like, person to person. Uh, to person. Yeah, I think also, so, how do I want to say this? So I think, typically speaking, these hierarchical relationships usually start because a pre-established couple decide to try polyamory together. So they sort of become a primary relationship and start sort of designating other people as secondaries. I'm not 100% certain, like, how sustainable this is in the long run. I actually would like to say that I personally think that it's a very sustainable form of poly, even though it's not polyamory, even though it's not the type of polyamory that I practice. Okay. I think it can be extremely sustainable, as long as everybody's on the same page and everybody's, like, really agreeing to it. So, like, it works ideally when all of the other partners involved also have a hierarchical situation in their own lives so like it works best if like oh i'm married this is or i'm this is my living partner or nesting partner nesting partner we'll get to that term later we're primaries with each other each of us has like a girlfriend boyfriend person friend and then that person has their own primary that helps to balance things out in these hierarchical relationships because it's harder it can be done but it's harder when you're in a relationship with someone who's in a primary relationship and they're strictly hierarchical, but you don't have necessarily 
a primary person. And if you want that and you don't have that and you see that this other person that you're involved with has that with someone else, that's where it can get particularly tricky. I think the the thing I've seen most that sort of is difficult in hierarchical relationships is the veto uh, situation. Veto power, yep. Veto power. I think that's sort of the part that I see, which when I see it go wrong, that's usually the thing that's like causing the relationship to go wrong is like one primary partner feels like the other one is exercising the veto power too much. Mm -hmm. Maybe one doesn't want there to be a veto power, you know, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So the veto power doesn't just have to be in hierarchical relationships. And some people might not have it in their relationship, in their hierarchical relationships. The veto power can show up in other places. But yeah, it is really difficult, especially with the veto power to like, know that like, oh, wow, this other person's like, this person's primary could just tell them that they don't want my partner to see me anymore. They just get that veto. That can really suck. However, I think that, again, if that's how you really want to work things, if everybody's super honest about it and is on board with it in the same way, then I guess you could work it out. But yeah, I agree. It's not ideal. I guess we should also explain what the veto power is, because I feel like it makes sense in context, but... Yeah, and I just gave a little bit of an example. Yeah. Um, but if you want to go but ahead and I just want to be explicit. It. So a veto power usually refers to a partner having the ability to say, I don't want you to see this person mm-hmm. anymore for whatever reason. It could be you have to explain it. It could be you don't have to explain it. It will depend on the relationship. But basically, a veto power is just saying, like, since you are my primary and I have the ability to say you can't see this person. Which is where I see things go wrong in sort of strict hierarchical relationships the most often. So I've explained hierarchical. Do we want to talk a little bit more about anarchical or relationship anarchy? Yeah. So relationship anarchy is the idea that every relationship is valid and is deserving of emotional labor. This ranges in things from like friendships to sexual relationships to emotional relationships that basically you come to each relationship on its own terms rather than trying to define it as either a primary a secondary or a tertiary relationship so my big analogy that i love with this and i've learned it some years ago i don't remember exactly where it was from is that relationship anarchy is like having this garden this open garden and you can plant your plants your flowers different things wherever you want in this garden plot and things have the room and the space to grow as they will on their own. Um, you don't sort of have like pots that you're putting them in. Whereas with a hierarchical relationship, if we take the same analogy, it's more like, Oh, my primary gets this huge pot. It goes at the front of the garden. I water it all the time. Whereas like my secondary relationships get a smaller pot. So like I'm confining how they grow or how much they can grow or how much they're watered or how much other people see them. So I think that garden analogy always worked for me. Okay. I can see that. Frequent terms that I hear in the relationship anarchy community are nesting partner, which we sort of talked about. That's sort of like your living partner. Yes. Anchor partner, which is somebody who doesn't necessarily live with you, but is very important and is like very uh, strong relationship in your life. And then sort of a comet partner, which is someone that like, oh, when you're in the same town, like you sort of go see each other, you'll hang out with each other, you go on a date, sort of like comet. Yeah, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I've actually, 
I've heard of both nesting partner and comp partner before. I had not realized it came from relationship anarchy. I'm not sure if it came from relationship anarchy. It's just that that's the community where I see these terms being used the most. Ah, As opposed to hierarchical polyamory, I see more of the primary, secondary, tertiary terms. Okay. So describe sort of the two ends of this one axis. And then there's the middle of the axes where most people probably actually exist. Yeah, so this is a mixed hybrid kind of situation. It's a mix of the hierarchical and the anarchical relationship styles. One way that I've seen this done is like there's one primary or maybe a couple of close primaries. And then that's typically like a nesting partner. And then like everyone else is like on the same level, quote unquote. Theoretically, this approach is like kind of good because... It makes sense, like, you live with someone, so obviously they just automatically get, like, the priority, quote-unquote, or whatever. So, like, again, like, people naturally kind of fall into this. And I think that this this version is more realistic. But it can still lead to, like, if one or more partners gets held above the rest, so, like, that nesting partner, whatever it is, anchor partner, um, while all the rest are, like, on the same level, that can lead to, like, some resentment. That sort of builds, because again, that's sort of this uneven kind of playing field with this mixed mixed situation. However, I do think this is what most people end up getting. So T is pretty committed to relationship anarchy. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. And in theory, I agree a lot with sort of the ideas of relationship anarchy. Yes, like friendships are just as important as partnerships. Yeah, my friendship with Kay is just as important as my relationship with you. Mm-hmm. But while I agree a lot with sort of the ideas behind relationship anarchy, I find it hard to not sort of recognize that people have different levels of commitment to each other. So I love T very much. I know T loves me very much. But I'm pretty much certain at this point that we kind of consider each other like secondaries to each other. We live in different cities, and T does come to this to the city I live in, but she's always visiting other partners. And I really don't go to visit her in the city that she lives in. I mean, we do, we do meet occasionally, but usually it's because of an incidental thing. Like, she was here visiting another partner, and then we decided to go visit, go get lunch together. Or I was down in her city, and I was like, let's go grab some dinner while we're in the same city. So you're kind of like secondary slash comet-esque. Yes. I recognize that she wants sort of each relationship to be its own thing, but it's hard for me in my mind not to sort of categorize categorize us as a secondary relationship. Right. And also because those terms, hierarchical terms, are easy to conceptualize. They're like, oh, primary, second, like it's logical. It's something, whereas, like, things like nesting partner, anchor partner, comment partner, whatever it is, like, where it gets all loosey-goosey and you're, like, not really sure what to call different relationships, that can be harder to conceptualize. So sometimes it's easier for us to think of our relationships. Like, if I were to put things in hierarchical terms, I would consider you and X to be my primary partners, with X being my nesting partner. And... It's almost impossible to go away from that because even though I have other partners and I obviously love them and care about them and just the same intensity as I care about you two, it just happens that you two get more of my time. And when people get more of your time, that commitment, I think it just like kind of falls out to be a little bit stronger. 
Yeah. Even though, yeah, ideally, in an ideal world, would I want everybody to be on the exact same playing field? Sure, that would be awesome. But neither of us are billionaires. And (laughs) even if we were billionaires, we still would not have infinite time. Exactly. Time is limited and time is linked to your energy. And yeah. So I was going to talk about solo polyamory next, except I think that I would, I like your view of this axis. So if you want to go ahead and introduce the other axis, we can talk about solo polyamory with that. Okay. So this one axis that we have is hierarchical relationships versus relationship anarchy. The other axis that I sort of see in polyamorous relationships is how well connected people are in the polycule. Wait, have we defined polycule ever in this show? I think we have at like in the very beginning. Okay. Um, but we should but re-define. Just quickly. Yes. A polycule is a, is a network of polyamorous relationships uh, that are somehow interconnected with each other. Usually kind of looks like a spider web. So it's like it has your partners and it has your partner's partners and their partners and so on and so forth. Yeah. So this sort of talks, this axis sort of is like how well connected the polycule is. And on one end, you've got kitchen table poly, which is the whole polycule is very comfortable with each other. They will gather for events. Or even further, we could go as far as lap sitting poly. Wait, what? Lap sitting polyamory. I've never heard this before. Okay. I thought I had sent you an article about this before. All right. But I would say that this is even more extreme than kitchen table poly. So it's even more than just getting along with your partner's uh, partners, your metamors. Now it's actually that you would probably date them. That you actually that's something that you seek out is actually dating your partner's partners or being like at least flirtatious with them or like wanting to get involved in some way, i.e., doing kinky things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Interesting. That makes perfect sense. I mean, once you said it, like I kind of knew what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. But I'd never heard it before. So it's like where everybody's really, really close. Okay. So I guess on one end, we've got lapsitting polyamory, uh, which is not only are you comfortable with your partner's partners, but you are dating your partner's partners. Basically, maybe not even, you might not be dating them as a direct partner, yeah. but you might at least be... Flirtatious. Flirtatious. Flirtationships. I know you like that right. word. Flirtationship. Yes. So below that, well, not below, but next to that, we'll have kitchen table polyamory, which is where you're comfortable gathering together. This is kind of the polyamory I'm used to. I've met up with T's Polycule and had like Christmas dinner. Well, not Christmas dinner. It's usually Christmas adjacent dinner or a Friendsgiving with them. I'm very comfortable with your partners. Like, I don't mind like hanging out at your, your house for a couple of days. I think you're pretty comfortable with R. I'm very comfortable with R and with and with T as well. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy both their company. And actually, sometimes I really enjoy having my partners all together and doing things all together is really fun. And also because that helps with a little bit of the time thing. So like, as much as I would love to spend individual time all the time with all my partners, that would be cool. Also, I don't have infinite time. So being like, oh, I can have a date with two of my partners. I can at least hang out with two of my partners and get some of that quality time in with both of them. That can just make time timing a little bit easier. A lot easier. Also, if you like running RPGs, <laughs> it makes things a lot easier <laughs> to get a group together. <laughs> but that's that may be besides the point. So next to Kitchen Table Polyamory, we have Parallel Polyamory. Which is where you, where your your partners don't really interact with each other. It would be like if I was dating M, 
and dating T, but they never... We never met. We never met. You never met. You never really talked to each other. You didn't hang out. We weren't really even interested in that. We were just like, we're both your partner, but we don't care, like, about the other one. Yeah. So T's partner, Jay, this is the kind of polyamory that he has been doing for most of his life. And he's actually trying to sort of make a conscientious switch at this point to kind of switch to more of a kitchen table polyamory because he's trying to much like you alluded to time is not infinite and in parallel polyamory if you are having individual time with everybody else sometimes you don't have time for yourself right so he's trying to sort of make that conscience a switch to like have a more sort of kitchen table approach to polyamory now this is not me saying that kitchen table polyamory is better than parallel polyamory. No, none of these choices are better or worse. Um, it's just some some things will work better for you. You might have to explore that. They might work better for you at one point in time and then not work for you. For example, with Jay, it sounds like at one point in time, parallel polyamory worked for him. Now it doesn't really work for him, so he's trying something new. Yeah. And that's okay. So we have parallel polyamory and then... Solo polyamory. And you want to talk about this. I did, because I can see how you thought that this fit on that other axis, because it has to do with how well connected the polycule is. And in solo polyamory, it's where the the person is their own primary, typically, and then they have no desire to be in a, quote, coupled relationship. So typically this means, like, they're kind of... no They're often referred to as, quote, unquote, nomadic... They don't really settle down with a partner. They don't really want to maybe even cohabitate with another partner. They just have no desire for that typical, quote-unquote, coupled relationship experience. So I can see how you thought that this meant, like, that's kind of on the other end of the spectrum, where it's sort of like, because they're not really, even them, even though they're, like, the person involved, they're not even really connected to the polycule because they don't want to be in a coupled relationship. Yeah. But solo polyamory, I think, can also be a type of mixed or anarchical poly as well. Polyamory. All right. Because, like, I could consider myself my own... If if I was a solo polyamorous, and I have identified that way in the past, I would be like, oh, I'm my own primary, and then I have these um, other partners, and they're kind of all on the same playing field. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Right. So I see a lot of people who do mixed or anarchical and still call themselves solo polyamorists. And then there's also one other thing that people normally talk about with solo polyamory, which is that there's a difference between like situational solo polyamory, which is that there is like currently not anyone that they can or would like to be coupled with at the time due to situational circumstances. So like, the people that they are seeing all have two busy lives or whatever, and it's just not working out in that moment. So they're not going to settle down with anyone or they're not going to have a more structured relationship. Or it can be more of a chosen solo polyamory, which is a deliberate choice not to be in a coupled relationship. So I have identified at one point as a solo polyamorous, and I was actually very serious about marrying myself for a long time. Marrying yourself? Yes, and that's a growing trend now, actually. Um, There's more and more people who are marrying themselves. And I always thought that was really interesting. To some degree, I think, like, everybody needs to be a little bit of their own primary partner. Yes. A little bit. Mm -hmm. I think when we can reframe things like that, too, that helps to to remind us, like, oh, I need to take time for myself. I need to do these things for myself, too. 
I think especially one thing about the situational solo polyamory is you can be completely single and still be polyamorous. Exactly. You're just not at that time in any relationships, but you are definitely open to that possibility if the right, right. relationship comes along. it's just not a situational along. thing at that moment. Yeah. Because yep. polyamorous, and we've talked about this, at some point we talked about identity, and I can't remember exactly which episode it was, but we talked about like primary identities and secondary identities, and for for people who are polyamorous in that like way of like, this is more of like a core part of my identity, that's why some people do feel like polyamory can be likened to an orientation or something like that, like even if I'm single, this is still who I am. I'm still polyamorous. So I think the episode you're thinking about is our needs and wants episode. Right. So, for example, Jay has, as as far as I can tell, polyamory is a primary identity for Jay. Admittedly, I've not explicitly asked him, but from our conversations, it seems pretty clear to me that he is explicitly, like, polyamory is a primary identity. Well, I think in our needs and wants episode, I described polyamory as kind of being a secondary identity to me. Like, I like polyamory. I love having my partners. I love you, M. Oh, I love you, G. I love R. I love T. And I'm also, though I feel like my dance card's a little full at this point, I'm also open to the possibility of meeting somebody else. But I also think that if I met the right person and they told me, I love you, but I need you to be monogamous with me. While it would be very difficult, I think I could be monogamous with a person. As far as I can tell, Jade just can't do that. Um, I would say that that's true for me as well. I don't think I could be monogamous with someone. Yeah. But I think of being kinky as a primary identity for myself. So if I person told me it's like i need you to be non-kinky for me i'd be like well it was nice knowing you don't let the door hit hit your butt on the way out (laughs) so now i think we're gonna talk about shapes of polyamorous relationships right so we just talked about like styles or structures of polyamorous relationships and i just wanted to touch on briefly quote-unquote shapes of polyamorous relationships so this is like the form of the relationship triad quad, right? Is that what it's called? Yes, triads, quads, Vs. So, I hate this term, but I do... It is apparently gaining popularity, so I feel like we need to talk about it. Thruple? Oh, I've seen thruple. I know people who use that. Yeah. So, much like there are some people who hate the word moist simply for how it sounds, I hate the word thruple for simply how it sounds, but I'm not going to police anybody for using that term. So, yes, Triad is what I would consider to be a more nicer sounding way of saying three people in a relationship together, but thruple has also been gaining popularity lately. So yes, triad and thruple are basically synonymous. Thruple is a very weird term for me as well, but again, it is gaining popularity and some people are using it, so awesome. Uh, That's how language works. But I will call it triad, and... Yeah, so there's, like, you can have a closed triad or an open triad, so we've already talked about the styles. So really what we're focusing on here is not whether things are closed or open, but just the shape of them. Mm -hmm. So in a triad, you kind of picture that triangle, and you have all three are connected. Whereas with a V, you sort of have this one relationship and another relationship. They're kind of sharing that partner, sort of like we were talking about parallel. Yeah. Almost in that way, except that, in a V, these two might know each other, they might 
or they might not. Yeah. So essentially, the the le- so if you if so if you're just looking at a V, like the upper points of the V, they might know each other, but they don't have a relationship with each other. Right. And also, do you call that a triad? I usually just call that a V. So I call that a V when it's when it's like that. It's okay. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Okay, that's different from a triad. All right. So a triad is the triangle. Sorry, I misheard you. That's okay. A triad is the triangle, and then a V is that one where you were saying where the people on those tips of the V, on those outside, yeah. are not involved with each other. So we no longer have that romantically speaking. Uh, it could be they know each other and get along quite well. Yeah, they but... could be friends. They could not be friends. So then there's obviously like things like a quads. It's like four people in a relationship, mm-hmm. and that would look like like a square. And you know, you we can probably come up with a bunch of different. There's different words for different shapes. So yeah. I just wanted to highlight that the shapes don't necessarily indicate the type of style yeah. or structure. So even like a triad can be hierarchical, or a triad can be anarchical Mm. or whatever there can be these different types so i think the last thing we want to talk about is polyfidelity versus being open so polyfidelity means that you are just with your partners in the relationship so it'd be Uh, like a if we were talking about a triad yeah we could have like a closed triad where they are polyfidelity polyfidelitous to each other in that triad so the three of them date each other an example of a polyfidelitous closed triad is the movie Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Yes, as far as we know. As far as, well, I'm just saying the movie itself. The movie itself, yes. We don't know what don't their know actual the, lives, yeah. but in the movie it's portrayed as a closed polyfidelitous relationship. relationship yep. Uh, versus open, where you are allowed to date or have sex with people outside, outside the relationship or outside or shape yeah outside the shape and possibly form new relationships possibly changing the shape of the relationship so i think we did a good job of covering the different structures the different styles shapes and sort of the general terminology that people use yeah you think there's anything we missed i'm thinking about it cuz there was one thought i had at some point oh so i think so, if you've listened to this podcast and you're still a little uncertain about what all these various terms mean, I would recommend looking up a webcomic called Kimchi Cuddles. So, it's a webcomic about various polyamorous groups interacting with each other, and it does a good job of showing a lot of different types of polyamorous relationships. Everything from Basically, everything we've covered, they also cover in that webcomic. So, yes, that's a very well known, great polyamorous webcomic. Yeah. Um, and I also will just point our audience members again to the article, which we will post in the show notes from Affirmative Couch on polyamorous relationship structures. All right. So, I think that about wraps it up for this episode, unless you can think of something else, Em. That's all for me, G. All right. Oh, gee, that's it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. I'm a professional. So if you like our content and you like M making bad G jokes all the time and would like to hear more of it, if you could please check out the donation link at the bottom of the show notes. We are starting to work towards possibly doing a Patreon. Uh, We're also going to have T-shirts out. We hope soon. We hope soon. 
Fingers crossed on that. And please also, even if you can't donate, share this with your friends, everybody in your polycule, and those in your D&D campaign. (laughs) This is M. This is G. Don't be afraid to love how you love. Love what you love. And love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KMP Podcast. You can find us at kmppodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. I should... Hold on. What you gonna do? I'm gonna see... Oh, yes, here it is. Kushil start? Yeah. In case this becomes the singer, yes, listeners, I do keep my books in my closet. It seems like a perfectly logical place to store them. (laughs) Was that supposed to be fun? Am I missing something? What? Was it supposed to be funny? Yeah. Books don't usually live in closets. It's not funny. That's the most (laughs) unfunny thing I've ever heard in my whole life. For a second, I thought that there was, like, a joke that I was missing. But that's... You were like, just in case it's going to be the singer, and I, like, hyped myself up for a real good joke. And then it was about how books normally aren't in the closet. Wow. We apparently have set the bar very low for ourselves. <laughs> that cannot be the most unfunny thing you've heard in your life. Absolutely. The most unfunny thing. Well, I keep my books in the fridge. So there. <laughs> Is that funny? No, it's not. <laughs>